This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 16, Episode 8. This is Writing Excuses, Smart Promotion. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Aaron. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. And we are talking about smart promotion. How to promote yourself smartly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, and this is something that I am terrible at. And so I am genuinely excited to hear what Brandon has to say, because it's very easy to waste a lot of time and energy on promoting yourself in ways that have no return on your investment. So What can you tell us, Brandon, about how to do this right? Well, number one, write your next thing. Um, This has been the only constant throughout my entire career because promotion has had a huge, multiple huge revolutions during the time that I've been a writer. I started trying to break in the the late 90s um, and even mid 90s when email was not a thing you could assume people had, right? I ended up breaking in in 2005 before Audible and um, and eBooks on Amazon were a, were a thing. Um, I had broke I broke in before Twitter existed, right? Um, I broke in when MySpace was a thing, um, and I have watched social media revolutions happen over and over. But the only big constant is you should be focused mostly on writing your next thing. Um, we're going to talk about promotion. We're talking about all the different ways you can promote. The thing about it is these ways have consistently um, uh, stopped working for it, it, it. They'll work for some authors, not for others. They will work for a time and then stop working entirely. The entire game changes so frequently that if you're not consistently working on the next thing, you're going to be in trouble because that's the only standby thing you can know will be useful. I can give a great example of this. Um, Back when I was doing partials, so we're talking nine or 10 years ago, book blogs were all the rage. They were huge. I did a a blog tour on a bunch of different book blogs and it launched partials through the stratosphere. It was fantastic. And three years later, when I launched my next YA science fiction series, book blogs were gone. They, I mean, they're still around, but they're not effective anymore. They are not a useful form of author promotion. And so we had to completely restructure all of our promotion for that series. Yeah, yeah when it, I broke in, um, I remember going to San Diego and driving to every bookstore and delivering, hand delivering a, a copy of my paperback. I would walk into the store and say, who is your science fiction reader? Can I give them a free book? And I would say, hey, if you'll read this, I'll give you this free book. Here's a short pitch on it. Um, I was able to go to 24 bookstores in San Diego. When I last was there and looked to see which bookstores I could go to, there were four um, that carried my books. Um, And so things have changed dramatically. Now, that's partially because San Diego was saturated with borders, places where Barnes & Noble had a, a stronger foothold. Uh, have still more, those metropolitan areas didn't close as many stores, but even still the physical book market, my most recent book, Oath, uh, Rhythm of War, which uh, came out in November of 2020, um, 
it was over 50% audiobook in its first week. Um, the fact that, and even now it's, it's, it's evened out at about 40% audio. Um, and around, you know, it's the rest is split hardcover and ebook. This is a really different world. Um, and if I'm going to say right now, the big revolution happening right now that's happened the last couple of years as uh, book marketing has become pay to play. That's been the trend over the last mm -hmm. few years. Unfortunately, um, all the major social media sites, now if you want to get eyeballs on your post, you need to pay for them. And indeed, the big, big change was Amazon deciding to um, charge authors a lot of money to promote books on different pages. If you are now, if you are an indie author, the biggest change that's probably happened in the last few years is once upon a time, you could put books up on Amazon. There was a Wild West period in 2010, even lasting into the mid-2000-teens, um, where if you were writing really fast and putting out good books and beating the traditional publishers to the market, you were able to sell huge numbers of books. To sell those books now on Amazon, you need to pay six figures income. Um, uh, I had two indie authors in my uh, writing course at BYU last year, and both of them were spending five to six figures on marketing their indie books to make back about that much money, which means that Amazon used to pay you a 70% royalty. They still do, but actually they're charging you half of that back in advertising money. And Amazon is no longer paying more money to indie authors than traditional publishing pays to traditional authors. That's gone now. That's a really big change in the way that marketing happens on the, um, in, in the modern era. One of the things that I, uh, soapbox I've been on for 15 years now that I am happy to still have as a, as a functioning soapbox is the idea that, you know, your brand, your identity online needs to have a home that you own. Your domain name, your server, your blog posts or photos or comics or whatever um, and you don't let go of that. Everything else you do, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever else, um, all of those things are under someone else's control and they can cut you off in an instant just by going out of business. Um, and a lot of them will. Um, and so no, this is, this was point number two on my list, Howard. Um, of things oh, to say. Okay. We didn't I, didn't, I didn't even share this list, but you you nailed it. Number <laughs> two, once you're writing your new book, number two is to make sure to have a solid website with a newsletter sign up that you are keeping up to date. Um, people don't go to individual websites as much as they used to. Um, uh, your individual website is not going to get the hits that your social media does, but it can't be taken away from you. And you know, it actually can. Remember when we talked about how publishers are not your friends? I've had multiple friends that when they launch a big new series, their publisher comes in and says, we're going to build a really cool new website for the series. Um, and they said, great. They're like, we're going to spend like, you know, money on this. And it's been great, except the publisher owns that website. And that website is in all of the books. And it is branding the series and not the author. Um, and my recommendation to you is to say to them, no thanks. 
My website should be the main branded website. You should not be building one on scholastic.com for me that you're sending people to. We're not going to publish in the books that website that you want to put up and put your foot down because that's going to brand the series and not you. And it's going to take the power away from you in the one of the few areas you can maintain it in your publicity career. Yeah. yeah and but- once the publisher decides that it's no longer going to support that website, then all of those you know people who are being driven there from the books, they're finding nothing. You have no control over it. You can't use it for updates. You can't cross-promote other books. Uh, it's now better than just saying, don't do this, is providing an alternative, yeah. suggesting how about we take some of that same marketing money and we do this with it. But Aaron, I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was going to make a horrible analogy and say <laughs> that it's sort of like when your work, like anybody who worked in like, they gave you a Blackberry, like a work Blackberry. And they're like, just do everything on this. Cancel your personal cell phone plan. Fast forward, like five years later, you're quitting that job and you're like, oh, wait, my entire life is on something that I didn't actually have control of, even though it was in my house. And I, and I felt like it did. I didn't. Um, one other thing though, that Brandon said reminded me the idea of, uh, having not as many people going to your website and more people going to social media is that I think there's also a difference between what writers do and what readers do. And it's always important to remember that you are both a writer and a reader. So where are you as a reader finding out about the books, the stories, the things that you're consuming, you know, a lot of times I love Twitter and like, I love talking to people on Twitter about my work, but I find more writers congregate on Twitter and talk amongst each other about the field. Whereas when people are looking for a book recommendation, they may be more likely to find that through some other source. And so I think it's important to think about like, what are you doing? And would you find out about your own book in the way that you're promoting it? And if the answer is no, then you should probably change that up a little bit. You know, a fun example from, and I have, I have, we have, uh, three of the key participants here, um, Typecast RPG, which uh, Dan launched two years ago now, two and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, it's a you know live streaming of role-playing games. Uh, Dan's the GM. I'm one of the players. Uh, Aaron's one of the players. Um, for a year and a half, we were trying to do, you know, Twitter marketing, Instagram marketing, whatever, Um, We talked a little bit about setting up a Discord channel for us, and the response was always, why would we do Discord? And then uh, we're recording this in December of uh, 2020. Uh, Literally three weeks ago, I sat up and realized at the end of an episode, we end these episodes and our audience is having this fun interaction in the chat room in Twitch, and then we stop and then they all have to go home. They can't keep talking. If we set up a Discord channel and link them to it, suddenly our fans, our our viewers, can keep having their conversations. And by having those conversations, and I've said this explicitly to them, so it's okay, by having (laughs) these conversations, some of them may become evangelists for our show talking about it in other places and doing our marketing for us. I feel like an idiot for not making this connection 
18 months ago. And I guess the lesson there is uh, we all get to feel like an idiot for not having made the right decision sooner. But that decision is always going to be one that you have to look at. The landscape is going to be changing and you're going to discover that something that you previously said, why would I even use that, is actually the thing that you should absolutely be using right now. And you can go right now and join our Discord if you want to be part of our Typecast community. And I'm sure we'll put the notes in the liner notes. Um, We need to do a book of the week. uh, And this week it is coming from Brandon. So one of the fun things about being um, a published novelist of some renown is that you get offered a lot of books before they come out. And uh, we looked at the schedule for this year and weren't sure that I was going to be on a episode because we're front loading my episodes when this book comes out. So I'm sorry. I'm promoting it to you several months early. But the book of the week is Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary. Andy Weir, you may know, is the author of uh, The Martian, which is uh, a a fantastic book and movie. Um, Project Hail Mary is his new book coming out in May. I loved this book. Uh, Just absolutely um, 100% loved it. Uh, I like it more than The Martian, which is a great book. This is more of a me book. Um, it's a, got a, a little bit more of a far future uh, feel to it, even though it's kind of happening now. The science um, and technology is more science fiction-y. Um, and it, there's just something just pleasantly fun about the book and the problem solving. And I can't even tell you really what the book is about without giving you huge, huge spoilers. Um, but it is written. There is a nonlinear fashion to it where you're getting flashbacks to find out the character. It, it's it's what we call a white room book. Character wakes up without any memories in a white room and has no idea how he got there, what's going on, um, and what his situation is. And he slowly pieces together his past and his history as he is trying to keep um, himself from dying and from uh, and and to solve a big problem. Um, and it is delightful, and I recommend it to anyone. Uh, one of the things I love about Andy Weir is he is kind of bringing hard science fiction to the masses. I count myself in that. I bounce off a lot of hard science fiction, um, and I force myself to read it because I know it's good for me, and there are some really interesting, great hard science fiction books. Um, and Andy Weir's, I never feel like I'm forcing myself to read. Um, I am having a wonderful, pleasant time. So uh, Project Hail Mary. Awesome. Also, it's a really good pun because um, – because the the character's name is uh, is Grace um, and Hail Mary um, and Grace play into what's going on in an interesting way um, that is never mentioned in the book and is just a delightful one. You know, well, awesome. Sounds listening good. Listening to that, I have to say, reminds me that word of mouth and people telling you to read something is one of the like most powerful promotional tools out there. It and, really you know, is. I was, it's so important. And something that I think about uh, in terms of marketing just generally is, is your book, is your work in like on the lips of the people who are talking about the works you love and that you want to be in conversation with? If you're like, I'm also writing hard science fiction for the masses. I'm not, but let's say I was like, I also want people to say like, oh, if you like that, Andy, if that's what you like about Andy Ware, you'll also love Aaron's next novel. And so really figuring out what are those people doing who you want to be like your book and your work to be mentioned alongside? How are they promoting themselves? Who are they getting in front of? What can you do that's similar is a good way to try to like get that word of mouth that is so powerful. 
You know, that's actually a brilliant thing to bring up that I didn't even have in my list of notes here, Aaron, because I have several friends whose careers were made by the fact that a series got really big that they had a book similar to at the same time, kind of just been bought or going or just on submission that they were able to then get on those bookstore talkers where they're like, if you like this, here are books like it um, and got that halo effect. Um, and, and it made their careers. You could say that I, my career was made kind of by that, by picking up the wheel of time in a similar way, um, and things like that. Um, but I do want to get to the third point on my list uh, of things because number one is write your next thing. Number two is make sure you have a solid website with a newsletter. We didn't talk enough about the newsletter. We've talked about them before. Newsletters are one of the, the, the most valuable resources you can have because those are people who opt in. Um, and who want to get an email from you telling them when a new thing is out. Um, it, it, you will have generally a smaller number of people on your newsletter than you will have following you um, in various social media settings. But the, the, the buy-in, you don't have to, like on Facebook, you may have 100,000 followers, but when you post on Facebook, if you don't promote it, you know, 15 of them will see. Um, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. Your <laughs> newsletter often will have a 30 to 40% response rate. Um, is, is very common. They, it, they're annoying to set up. You have to get something like MailChimp. It takes a little bit of upfront um, setup and understanding, but it is absolutely worth your time to have a newsletter and to be writing one at least every year or, you know, I try to do them quarterly. Well, and I wanted to just jump in quick and say, per our earlier discussion, newsletters have been one of the longest lasting uh, promotional outlets. Uh, they yeah. have outlived five or six generations of other promotional systems and they're still effective. Yep. And you can't, they can't be taken away from you. Again, you control that newsletter um, and you can send it to people. Now you, there are ways to do this right. So you're not ending up in, you know, spam folders. And there is the fact that people generally get a lot of newsletters because unscrupulous sites sign you up for their newsletter um, knowing that it is one of the best marketing tools, I would recommend that you be upfront with your newsletter and not have one of those big pop-ups and not just automatically sign people up. Uh, treat your, your fans with respect. These are the people that are going to be spreading the word of mouth and give them a good return on their newsletter. Uh, generally, a good tip is to put some exclusive stuff in the newsletter, like exclusive fiction, you know, previews of things, or um, oftentimes a, um, a newsletter promotion um, is very handy and things like that. But point number three is after you've done those things, then you can start to look at social media platforms. Understand that social media, we're still in the wild west of social media. It's less than 20 years that social media has been a force. Early in social media, new platforms would rise and fall um, every couple of years. That stopped happening and big platforms started to get a foothold. But what we found is that people tend to calcify on their given platform. And like you'll find Facebook and Twitter having this problem. They don't pick up new people very often. The people who are active on them stay active, but they don't pick up the new people. The new people go to a new generation of, um, of platform and are there. And so you can drive yourself mad trying to be on all the platforms and reach all the people. I would recommend doing what Aaron has said. Find out where the discussions about your books are happening or find out where the, the, one, the social media platforms that are most um, 
easy for you to use that you will be consistent on because being consistent is more important than being um, in the place that is the most popular. If you're in the place that's most popular, but you are bad on that platform, it's not going to do you as much good as having a nice Twitter um, uh, you know, timeline where you're consistently updating and are writing interesting things. One of the most powerful things about social media, and again, you know, Aaron mentioned this with regard to with regard to word of mouth, is the idea that other people are talking about your work. Um, I've had people say Howard Taylor is writing the finest hard science fiction in the market today. That is not something I would ever dream of saying about myself. And people are not going to believe it if I say it about myself. But if someone else says it, I can retweet it and say, thank you. You are very kind. And now I have accomplished some promotion and and expressed an opinion or, you know, amplified an opinion about my work that I could not have done myself. The social aspect of it is key. I can't just shout my brand into a void. I have to participate in a discussion. Yeah, knowing what your social media is trying to do is another uh, another thing to think about. Um, during the, the years when blogs were a big deal, becoming a platform writer um, was a thing you could do. Uh, John Scalzi and Cory Doctorow both kind of broke out as platform writers um, where they were having a big platform where they were writing really interesting thing and pe- things and people were coming to them for the other things they were writing. And also they started writing books and selling to that audience. Uh, harder to do now than it used to be. You can still do it. Um, but that's very different from, for instance, my social media presence. Because I have the luxury of having a, a large audience already, my social media platform does not have to draw new readers. My social media platforms are there for existing readers to get information that they want. And that's a very different type of social media platform. Like my Twitter, it's very different from Howard's. If you want to read a Twitter that you're just going to have fun with, go to Howard's Twitter, right? Um, if you want to know specifically about what Brandon is doing, that's the reason to go to my Twitter. I'm not going to entertain you on my Twitter. I don't have to. Um, but I will probably entertain you on Reddit, where I'm posting still mostly about my books, but in much more expansive ways and doing updates and things like that, because I'm on Reddit and I'm just there as part of that community. And it was very easy for me to do updates on Reddit that are interesting and engaging for me to write and interesting to the people who are going there. So I have made a focus in the areas um, where I am most likely to write good content. Now, and that kind of leads into, uh, I, I, I know that we still wanted to talk about targeting your audience, but I'm afraid at this point we have to yeah. can of worms that for a future episode uh, because it, it sounds like effective promotion is something we could talk about forever. Uh, so we, we promise we will come back to this at some point in the future, but this episode is wildly over time and we need to cut it off now with a little bit of homework from Brandon. So this can actually tie into that targeting your audience thing, uh, which is I would recommend you take the authors that you read and go see what their social media presences look like uh, because you can learn a lot by looking at what different people are doing um, and seeing what you think is effective. Take that author and kind of – you're going to have to kind of lump them in um, groups based on you know their sales and their, their, uh, their, their, their awareness of them in the market 
and see what kind of responses they're getting on various social media platforms um, and use this to kind of start building an idea for yourself how you would want to approach this. These are things you can start while you're not published yet. Um, you can spend too much time on them, so don't do that. But um, be watching what people are doing and be thinking about this. Awesome. Well, this is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.